Apple's TV strategy revealed, and video wins online. But where's the money? This is episode 72 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom Asacker. Hey, Tom, welcome. It's time for Apple's TV strategy revealed. You've been waiting for this moment, haven't you? Did we predict it a couple of years ago? We predicted this a couple of years. Now, we weren't alone. Oh, I, think, I don't know about that. This. We were first. Now, you might be, actually, you might be right about that. Um, so uh, this is from a piece in uh, Hollywood Reporter. Apple's TV strategy becomes clear as top stars jockey for shows. Everybody wants to be on Apple. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Do you think it's that or is it the money? Yeah. Money is the nectar of uh, the Hollywood <laughs> butterflies. So I don't really think they care who it is. The world's biggest company is officially taking meetings as everyone from Jennifer Aniston to Steven Spielberg. Boy, whoever would have thought those two would be in the same <laughs> sentence. Salivates over selling their first big show. I know. <laughs> no offense, Jennifer, but this will be your first big show. <laughs> what? Oh, I think he means Apple. One studio chief says, who wouldn't want to be the Mad Men or House of Cards on Apple? By the way, Tom, does it strike you that they make that sound just so incredibly easy? Oh, oh yeah. No, I mean... Who- who wouldn't want to be the Mad Men? Who, Who wouldn't want to be Game of Thrones, Tom? Right. Why say on Apple? <laughs> <laughs> but you would almost imagine that Game of Thrones is there's just a million of those floating around Hollywood waiting to be bought, <laughs> wouldn't you? Uh, so the, the, the speculation is that one of these days, the famous One More Thing in an Apple presentation is going to be a high-end TV series. Well, we can only hope. Uh, whether or not that's the venue the tech giant ultimately uses to announce its TV offerings, Apple's L.A.-based execs are busy lining up the first batch of potential shows. Let me see what some of their... Oh, though Apple isn't looking to replicate the pace or scale of Netflix's $6 billion annual spend, it's eager to be in the prestige content business in a significant way. Per multiple sources briefed on the company's plans, its executives are looking for big, smart, splashy dramas. Whoa. You know, I, I would just... <laughs> Just buy something called Big Smart Splashy Drama. That should be the name of the first show. It absolutely should be as name with at least one <laughs> sighting. This is the Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, and The Crown as models. Of course. Let's model over something really good and popular. <laughs> and though there are still plenty of questions, first and foremost, how an Apple show will be distributed, which is a big deal because, as you know, Tom, if it's distributed only on Apple... Uh, that's going to be of limited interest to just about everybody who never uses an Apple platform to watch video. Talent is lining up to provide options. So <laughs> I just love it. Who wouldn't want to be Mad Men or House of Cards on Apple? I don't, yeah. I don't get it. I mean, where's the strategy? I mean, if somebody said, okay, we, Apple, we know Apple's strategy. Yeah, good. What is it? Well, they're going to create an exclusive high-profile show, and then they're going to force people to watch it by purchasing the Apple TV set box. Because we, I don't even know where this battle is going, where it's going to play out. Is it going to be in the video streamers? You know, the, the Apple TV, the Fire TV, Chromecast, Roku. Because if you watch Amazon, they are really using that Fire TV box to promote their own shows. Sure. Right? Because they have your attention. Right. They've got, that's the access point. The brand has the access point now. Do you think, Mark, that that's where the battle is somehow going to play out in trying to get the access point? 
I, do, I don't think so, at least not on that access point, because I think if you look at the statistics, and I don't have any uh, at hand, but the statistics show that more and more people under a certain age are spending less and less time watching their video programming on the Fire TVs of the world and on the Apple TVs of the world and on the Roku TVs of the world. They're using their mobile devices. They're using their portable screens. And in a portable screen environment, Apple actually does have a lot of advantages. It's the big screen environment where it has virtually none. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. Now, what's interesting to me about some of the choices, though, is at this point, listen to this, at press time, the company, Apple, had bids out on only a handful of projects, including an update of Steven Spielberg's 1980s sci-fi horror fantasy anthology series, Amazing Stories, which, may I remind you, was a notorious expensive failure (laughs) when it aired on television. And I might also add, it's an anthology series, and you essentially, you cannot point to a successful anthology series since, oh, I don't know, The Twilight Zone? Yeah. and a morning, this is the other one, a morning show drama starring Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. Tom, what is a morning show drama? What, I don't know what a morning show drama is. I, 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 I don't know what it is. But if these are the prestige shows, apparently they missed out on Ryan Murphy's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest origin series Ratchet starring Sarah Paulson as the diabolical nurse. They lost that one to Netflix, uh, Net, uh, to Netflix I think. Yeah. So with that one, theoretically, I could have seen as a prestige player, but these two are, I mean, there's just nothing special look, here. Look, I'm missing it. I, I, I don't even know what they're up to. So look, Facebook launched its own original video series, right? Snapchat right. released a stock of shows earlier this year. You got guys like uh, Katzenberg. He's making like a $600 million bet on something he's calling mobile TV. So these are shows mm-hmm. that he's going to produce Short episodes, six to ten minutes, intended to be watched primarily during in-between times on mobile devices. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going after these eyeballs. What is the strategic value to Apple of doing this? I'm, I'm well, let me, let, me, let me turn that question around for you because um, you're in the driver's seat. Yep. If you were Apple right now, recognizing where the winds are blowing, recognizing the role of content in the equation and the role of distribution, which is not nearly uh, uh, irrelevant, um, what, would you, what would be your strategy? If I were Apple? Yeah. <laughs> I would look at the passions and inherent capabilities of these design experts that I have, and I would go out and figure out how to design something with the elegance and the, 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 the ability to operate forever, like these Apple devices do, and bring it to people in other devices. Now, what are those devices? I don't know. Is it a car? Maybe it's a car. I don't know. Is it a, a generator for their home? I don't know. It, it just seems to me that for them to, to start shifting from elegance and robustness of devices into fashion with watches, and then move from fashion into movies, what's next? Apple blue jeans? I mean, where, where <laughs> Apple fashion? It has to be Apple fashion has to be next. Well, the, you know, some would say that this is, you know, that Apple fashion is what we're already facing with these, you know, $1,000 iPhones. That is Apple fashion. The watch is certainly sold as a fashion item, as you know. So we're already in that space. I think my answer would be, 
that the strategy would be to say, well, I'm going to do another year or two of experimentation, and then I'm going to buy uh, Sony Entertainment. Um, I'm going to buy Sony Pictures. I'm going to buy Sony Television. I'm going to buy my way into the uh, ecosystem in a, in a significant way because I've got plenty of discretionary cash, and these acquisitions aren't that big. And uh, then I'm going to expand my uh, platform in terms of distribution and content all at once. Just as Amazon buys Whole Foods and boom, it's in the you know, grocery business. It didn't set up a little Amazon grocers on the corner of Hollywood and Vine <laughs> and say, let's do it as a test and see if it works. No, it bought Whole Foods much smarter for a company at scale, don't you think? I mean, if you're going to do that, why didn't they buy Roku and just own every one of those entry points? I guess the answer would be Roku is just another distribution platform and Sony is, is a content platform. So if they want to get into content, then buy content. If they want to get into distribution, they could always buy distribution. Yeah. Well, listen, how many billions of dollars in cash are they sitting on? They could buy a um, hundred and something More than billion? I can count. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it makes you wonder, are they just, playing around. That's what I think. I think the next two years are going to be them playing around. Look at the shows that they produced for Apple TV so far, uh, the uh, Planet of the Apps oh, and the was, other yeah. show, I can't remember yeah. what it's called. I mean, this is experimentation at its most fundamental. Right. Um, this, is a, this is barely even trying, right? So I think at this point, now they're going to scale it up and they'll, you know, they'll put a billion dollars behind their... Um, silly little efforts instead of a million dollars. And um, that will ultimately lead to the reality that, you know, the space between Apple spending a billion and buying Sony Pictures, Sony Entertainment, seems to me to be not significant at all. No, but you know... What is that middle ground? No, you're right. But you know what the problem is? The problem is they're not heading in a direction based on what they believe is something they should be adding value to the environment, the ecosystem, the communities. That, that's what I think. The, if Apple said, hey, you know what, what? We're going to make this kind of programming. Oh, no, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? This is just another buyer with money. That's it. That's all this that's is. exactly what's going on. What's popular, a, we'll buy it, let's go. That's a deep-pocketed buyer with money. And as much as Steven Spielberg wants his show on Apple... I'm here to tell you that if Amazon comes with a better offer, <laughs> oh, of course, Steven, Steven's gone. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that, that's what, that quote you put at the beginning was was kind of funny to me. You know, it's like uh, they want to do the blockbuster on Apple. You know, it's kind of like, hey, Mark, do you want to fly in Hollywood, or would you like to be able to fly in New Jersey? You'd say, I just want to fly. <laughs> Show me that I can fly. No, you, no, no, no. You'd say I just want, I want to fly in Hollywood, but the truth is you just want you to just fly. You just want to fly, baby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Maysacker and Mark Ramsey. Video wins online, but where or where is the money? Tom, this is from a couple of articles, especially one in Digiday titled Pivoting to Video. Uh, pivoting to video. I hate that Publishers word. face. I, I, it's a hard sentence, I as a matter pivoting, of fact. But go ahead. <laughs> I get it. Oh, I see. Pivoting. It's, there's dashes here. So pivoting to video publishers <laughs> face a big monetization gap. Boy, that makes it better. 
<laughs> Publishers are pivoting to video in case you missed it from Two the title. Two of my favorite words, pivoting words. and monetization. Let's do it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping it'll pay off in ad dollars. But despite the big view numbers they're generating, the revenue is often a mirage. <laughs> the mo- majority of those views take place off those publishers' own platforms and occur on platforms that have tons more scale. We know who we're talking yeah. about. And uh, this could be because, like Bu- uh, BuzzFeed or now this, they're deliberately, they've deliberately built their businesses on social distribution. For publishers that have made a big push into video lately, most of their views take place off their own site. Quote, it's a terrible trap, said Andy Feinberg, CEO of Brightcove, which powers video players and publishers' sites. Publishers have to be on these platforms to retain their audiences and make sure their brand is being presented to a broad audience and their competitors are there. But the ability to monetize on these platforms is not the same as their ability to monetize on their own and operated platforms. Their CPMs are low. Their revenue streams are suffering. Now, for the record, Bright Cove is a company built to solve exactly that problem <laughs> by enabling video on your own platform. So, you know, consider the source. But I think essentially the arguments... Correct. I mean, you can either, if you if you ignore and abhor uh, social distribution for your video content, you're not going to get the traffic. Um, and if you embrace it, you're not going to get the money. Yeah. So there's the trap, Tom. Yeah, no, his, his follow-up comment later in the article I, I thought was like spot on. He said that um, years ago, publishers were happy to take YouTube's money to run their video on the platform, right? Mm-hmm. Because think about it. You're getting the exposure... And you're getting a piece of the action, right? But what he's perfect, right? But he said, but it helped. What it helped do was train the audiences to watch video on YouTube instead of on the publishers' own sites. So, well, you know, actually, I I think that analysis is a little simplistic. I think <laughs> the audiences were going to go to YouTube whether or not the publishers went there. I think it was more a case of will the audiences simply forget about the existence of the publishers, right? Yeah. Not this idea that, oh, gosh, well, now I don't have to go to, you know, Newsweek.com. I can see it on YouTube, um, right. I can see it on YouTube. No, I'm going to go to YouTube anyway. I mean, I don't want to go to Newsweek and 50 other destinations, HuffPo and so on. I want to see it where it's most convenient for me, and you can either be there or not. And the idea, by the way, of putting your content in the way of where the audience is, is as old as broadcasting, right? Yep. It's as old as digital. So I don't think that's illogical at all. I think the point that he's making is if somehow you hadn't surrendered your content for a piece of the action to YouTube, you wouldn't be in this fix today. Well, that's naive. Well, you know, it's no different if you think about it than like uh, let's say you that you have a little, uh, uh, I don't know, an organic vegetable garden and you and you sell through this little you know, booth that you have out on the street mm-hmm. and people come and they buy, buy what you have. And, but they don't want to come there. They would rather see your stuff at, at the supermarket, the store that they go to every week with a little sign right. that says you can get it here. They, you know, right. they wouldn't like to make that separate trip. So then you say, right. well, let me take all my stuff down to the supermarket and I'll create a nice little sign. And the supermarket says, oh, we would love to have you here. By the way, you're going to get like 10% now, not 100% mm-hmm. anymore or 20%, whatever. So you say, oh, shit, I, I got to do this because that's where people want to buy their vegetables. Right. That's the game. That's right. That's what's going on. But that is the game. <laughs> I know. That is the game. That's the ecosystem. Or you Bleacher have some report. vegetables that people can't get at the supermarket, and they say, I've got to swing by that little booth, and I've got to get that guy's you know, heirloom tomatoes. 
I have to go even, there. Even Steven Spielberg is going to put his vegetables at the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> the, the article notes Bleacher Report, for one, is careful to limit the sponsorship it runs on video-heavy Instagram to about one out of four videos so it doesn't turn off viewers with a constant stream of brought-to-you-by messages. This is another issue, Tom, is that if everything you see on these you know, social platforms is brought to you by if, 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 if advertiser messages litter everything, then there's going to be consequences. Right. There's going to be ad block. Uh, by the way, I told you in a previous episode, ad blockers have changed my life. I told you. Yeah. Utterly changed my life. And because no more of those pre-rolls, I don't even barely know what these folks are talking about in this <laughs> article. <laughs> On social, it says, if every video has a brought to you by, it might diminish the user experience, says Bleacher Report's SVP of strategy. Tom, you think that's true? It might? I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it seems like it could. <laughs> so it's not as lucrative for them for many reasons. And then you have to take into account the share of revenue the host platform keeps. And these numbers always bowl me over. 45% in the case of Facebook's mid-roll ads, the same as YouTube split. 45%, Tom. I know. Unbelievable. Uh, hey, if you can get it, right? Uh, it's true. <laughs> um, there's another article, too, that went along with this from Michael Wolf, which who is one of our favorite oh, uh, Jesus, that's uh, a tough one. authorities. Yeah. Who wins and loses in media's great pivot to video? It's almost like he read the previous article, isn't it? Yeah, well, who do you say, who the same lingo? Say wins and loses? Well, <laughs> this is the problem. I read it twice in order to <laughs> deduce that. But here, I think I got to it, and it's in the final paragraph. Here it comes. A two-class digital video world. Platforms like Netflix and Amazon uh, issuing, what is that word? Issuing issuing advertising. We're making and selling high-end video, vastly expanded the scripted video market and trying to challenge TV. YouTube was trying to find its premium strategy, AT&T, with its proposed acquisition of Time Warner, betting on a high-end content future. In other words, it's all premium. Um, It's all subscription. Right. And then the rest, low-end, ad-supported, commoditized video, the tsunami of it. Um, In this, Facebook was faced with more and more of something of an existential crisis. Was the future social media or TV? Shared videos or paid-for videos? Could Facebook achieve world dominance without Hollywood dominance? My answer, Tom, is no. Well, no. Here's my answer. Maybe Facebook can, maybe YouTube can, but nobody else can. (laughs) Without Hollywood dominance, Apple can't. Yeah, Amazon can't. You know, Netflix can't. Yeah, look, the, you're going to see more and more. Video, the cost of high quality video content is dropping, right? Mm-hmm. To produce it, as the barriers come down, what happens? The content flows in. So we're going to see more and more and more video. But more importantly, because Facebook is prioritizing video in their algorithms. Mm-hmm. Now the publishers, they're addicted, right? So they've got to react. They're addicted to Facebook as a source yep. of attention. So they have to now produce video. I mean, where the right. dog turns, the fleas kind of go with them. You know, I mean, it's just... you. In fact, that may be the video. Dogs with fleas following it. <laughs> I think Jerry Seinfeld... No, he did coffee in cars with comedians. We'll do, we'll do dogs with fleas, you know. <laughs> 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 All right, Tom, it's time for Rants and Raves. What have you this week? Oh, man. I don't feel like getting serious, but I have to get serious for a second. So if there are any executives at legacy media companies who tuned into this crazy podcast, I want to offer a bit of encouragement, and I want to inject a little fear 
into your hearts and minds. Sounds like every episode. Yeah, but this is this is with two obscure bits of news that I bumped into mm-hmm. this week. Okay, so let me give you the encouraging part first. Okay, we are undoubtedly living in an age of unprecedented consumer experimentation. I don't think people realize that new brands are emerging that no one has ever heard of before. It, no reputation at all, and in short order, with the creation of whatever unique and compelling value they provide. These, these people are rocketing to relevance, profitability, some cases, marketplace dominance, really quickly. Now, if you had asked me, for example, 20 years ago, should a vacuum cleaner company enter the automobile market, I would have, like, rolled over on the floor dead. <laughs> I swear to God, I, I would have said, what kind of stupid question is that? Not anymore, you see. Last week, James Dyson made an announcement to his employees that they've begun work on a battery electric vehicle due to launch in 2020. Look, you got a 71-year-old Brit promising to spend around $3 billion to create a groundbreaking electric car. Do you think I think he'll be, able to be successful? Absolutely. Yes. Now, on the other hand, we're hearing people who've been in the media business for decades come up with excuses for why they can't do a podcast. <laughs> this is driving me crazy. You can't innovate with content and distribution. You've got an audience already. This guy's got no audience for cars. He's got an audience for vacuum cleaners, and he's going, to be, he's going to be successful in cars. So there's the encouraging news. Well, he, he's, uh, just to add in, he's also got an audience for cool and fashion, as Elon Musk does. And what they also have in common is that they are viewed as kind of visionary leaders. And that gets to the term leadership which is sorely lacking in a lot of these media exactly. companies. Listen, leadership comes from your actions. That's Elon Musk was PayPal. That has nothing to do with an electric car. It has to do mm-hmm. with the actions that you take. So you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Now, you want the scary news? At least you, to me, you bet. it appeared scary. Do you know how many people, Mark, I want, if, you, if you don't know, I want you to guess. How many people do you think Bezos has working full-time on Alexa, this, you know, the Echo virtual assistant. Oh, gosh. I'm going to say 1,500. Oh, shoot. She's talking to me. See, you now you ended up. No, she's th- I shouldn't have used her name. <laughs> the, a, the A name. Yeah. He has 5,000 people yeah. working on this thing. If you go to Amazon's Alexa job page, you'll find hundreds of openings data engineers, machine learning scientists. Mm. They've got 200 positions under Alexa Engine, 207 openings for Alexa machine learning, 30 openings for Alexa household organization. So what, right? So what? So here's this. If you believe in the value and strategy of your offering, start investing in the talent to bring it to life and make it happen. Mm. I assure you, if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. That's great. That's not scary. That's actually uh, hopeful. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Good. What do you have? 
Don't. Well, I got a couple. All right, good. Um, for, first of all, I want to do a little log rolling. And we haven't been in touch for a while because I was out of the country sending you pictures of wax museums of me, oh, of me in front of wax museums <laughs> the world over. Yes, which is we got to do it. We, Nobody would believe we, this. We got to do a Tumblr of that yeah, one exactly. of these days of me in front of every wax museum. <laughs> and I always send it to you. It's like we have no pictures of our vacation until the moment where I say, hey, get a picture of me in front of the wax museum. I have to send it to Tom. Anyway. So two things. First of all, a little log rolling. Um, the uh, second season of my podcast, as you know, is uh, Inside the Exorcist, which is kind of a follow-up to Inside Psycho, which debuted in the spring. And Inside the Exorcist debuts next week, Tom. I don't think you knew this. Oh, I knew. Um, <laughs> but I know you've heard the teaser, but I've deliberately not shared any more of it with you than that. You've heard the teaser, right? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So um, this thing debuts next Tuesday, uh, seven episodes. Uh, we've got four of them in the hopper so far. Um, it's very much in the vein of the original uh, uh, series for Psycho. Um, Jeff Schmidt, who is our audio uh, uh, guru on this show, does uh, a quality of work on this podcast, which is just, uh, I, I mean, I, 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 it leaves me speechless. It's that good. It is pretty much the best audio work I have ever heard on anything. And it's on this podcast that launches next week called Inside the Exorcist, which you can find anywhere. It's from my friends at Wondery. And Jeff and I uh, did it. And we're, we're done with about four out of the seven episodes right now. We'll be done with the next three in the next couple of weeks. And the first two debut next Tuesday. So everybody go there and check that out. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And also you get to hear, um, as Linda Blair... Stephanie Drake from Mad Men. Oh, so wow. how about that? We've got a celebrity go. celebrity guest. Perfect. So yes, and I'll tell you more about that after we're done. Congratulations, in, our, in, in the section we always should record, but don't, which is the after show. Oh, no, the after show. Would that, see, that would, that would like <laughs> gangbusters. That would just blow up iTunes. Wait to do it. <laughs> I think the after show is pretty good. Uh, people will be sorry they missed it. Anyway, I have a second one, too. Um, and that is, uh, this isn't really about media so much as I just found this really compelling. There's nothing particularly new in this, but I just thought it was really valuable and compelling and a nice way to end. And that is that um, um, there's a, it's a piece by our friend Ryan Holiday uh, called 12 Questions That Will Change Your Life. And again, these aren't new questions. Some of these are as old as time, but they're kind of good questions. And I just wanted to share some with you. Yeah. First of all, who do you spend time with? Goethe would say, tell me who you spend time with and I will tell you who you are. And that includes what you do with your time, not just who you spend it with. Is this in my control? Our responses to other people, the weather, external events, etc., are in our control, but those events themselves are not. What does your ideal day look like? If you don't know what your ideal day looks like, how are you ever going to make decisions or plans for ensuring that you actually get to experience one? <laughs> to be or to do? That is, will you choose to fall in love with the image of how success looks or focus on a higher purpose? Will you pick obsessing over your title, number of fans, size of paycheck, etc., or a real tangible accomplishment? Uh, in life, there's a roll call, and it sorts people by their answer to the question, the doers or those who simply pretend. Here's another one. Mm -hmm. If I am not for me, who is? If I am only for me, who am I? Mm -hmm. Another uh, what am I missing by choosing to worry or be afraid? Which I think is a great one because I, I had this conversation with somebody just the other week and I said, you know what? When I went in and pitched this podcast, I've never done a podcast of, you know, of that type right. before. 
There was nothing to indicate I would be able to do it. I had a teaser that Jeff and I had made. Um, that teaser was four or five minutes long. Uh, here we were going to Wondery saying, we want to do, you know, two hours of this. And they said yes. And the biggest problem when they said yes was we had to actually figure out how to do it. <laughs> if we had been afraid of doing it, if we had been thinking we don't know how to do this, and God knows we didn't, or at least I didn't, and it started with me, um, I'd be nowhere in that area right now, nope. let alone having a sequel. And then now they're asking me, what's the next one? So it's, uh, it's a good lesson. What is the most important thing? If you don't know what the most important thing is to you, how do you know if you're putting it first? Um, let's see. Who is this for? If you're making something, this is a question you're going to love. If you're making something, selling something, trying to reach people, you have to be able to answer this question. It's shocking how many entrepreneurs, writers, salesmen, even politicians never bother to stop and go, who the hell is my audience here? <laughs> yeah. The result is that the message is out of tune or the wrong person's targeted. Every creative must stop and really think about who their audience is. What do these people want, Tom? Yes. What do they need? They what desire? value am I offering? Right. Don't try to get lucky. Don't follow your hunch. Get it right. Ask the question. Make sure the answer is clear. Does this actually matter? Given the shortness of life, <laughs> does the thing I'm thinking about, worrying about, fighting about, throwing myself into even matter? Will this be time alive or dead time? Hmm. Um, dead time, where we're just waiting in a lifetime, where we're learning and active and leveraging. And then finally, is this who I want to be? Uh, you are what you do, so ask yourself, whenever you're doing something, is this reflective of the person I want to be, that I see myself to be? How do we do any, how we do anything is, of course, how we do everything. So there are the questions from good questions. Ryan Holiday. Isn't that good? I thought so. Yeah, very good. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can uh, also catch us at art19.com, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Google Play Music. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker, and who hasn't? <laughs> and Mark Ramsey at Mark Ramsey Media. Quite a few haven't. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged if there's a media topic you want us to cover or just a really good list of 10 things. Tweet us. Catch up on older episodes and older people at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, the incomparable Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. If you have an audio project, you owe it to yourself to work with Jeff Schmidt. You can find him hmm. at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening.